0: You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. John Austin, and a nickel-packed cutback. That's it. Down the sideline point. Not that about,
1: Here's it out.
2: Oh, he drops it in the bucket. Kenny Britt
3: is gone. Touchdown.
2: Give it to Gurley.
3: Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button. It is his rookie season.
0: And now, here's your host.
3: Hello,
1: everybody, and welcome to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. I am your host, Josh Webb. Pleased to be joined once again and thankful to have my partner in crime, my co-host, Mr. Joe McAtee back. Joe, how are you doing this blessed day? The calm before the storm, as they say.
0: Doing good, doing good. Fun, fun day on the site. Fun week, to fun week to be a Rams fan. Obviously, the last time right. we talked, uh, last episode was with JB Long, play-by-play announcer for Rams Radio, the voice of the Rams. A lot has gone on. Indeed, and, gone and on in the last one of the things
1: that came up in that conversation with JB Long was this notion of the NFL and the media. And you and I both got to talk in sort of with JB about questions that we didn't really have the answers to and that we should get somebody on the show who did. Well, producer Scott happens to be friends with the proprietor, owner of Fang's Bites, Mr. Ken Fang, who was also the co-editor at Awful Announcing and also does some stuff for the comeback. And Mr. Bang has been kind enough to donate
3: about a half hour of
1: his time tonight
3: So Ken, welcome to the show Nice to be on with you guys, thanks for uh, asking me to be on with you
1: Ah, perfect, now I I, I know that I've introduced you and I'm pretty sure I hit all the fine points But if there's some stuff that I missed that you'd like to tell the people about Because I know you're a man with many hands and many pots, please take Mm -hmm. this time
3: well, you know, I, I you, you pretty much got it all, Fangs Bites. <clears throat> it's uh, on blogwin.com or dot, uh, slash Fangs Bites. We're also uh, I'm the associated editor of uh, Awful Announcing and with a, uh, some occasional contributions to the comeback. And I'm also on Twitter at Fangs Bites, so you can catch me there. And I also have my own face- Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Fangs Bites, so you can catch me on multiple platforms.
0: Oh, right on.
1: Now, Joe. You were sort of the impetus for this whole thing. So I'm going to toss the first question to you, and uh, we'll just kind of fill out this half hour with, with general chat about the NFL and media. So take it away, good brother.
0: Yeah, well, really, I had a bunch of questions, but now that I hear that he's barely working, I mean, geez, find somewhere to do some work, Ken. My goodness, <laughs> lazy bones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, where's that, let's, let's start macro, uh, macro, whatever is, is a GIF gift thing. Let's start, uh, the NFL ratings this year were a thing. Um, what's your, I mean, obviously now with the playoffs, maybe that's kind of changed things, but what's your sense was that was the NFL ratings and kind of the narrative that picked up this year. What What's your feeling on it now that we're in mid January?
3: Well, <clears throat> the whole thing was when we were in the middle of the rating slump in the first half of the season, we were all wondering what exactly was it? Was it the presidential election? Was it the fact that maybe there was too many games, uh, overexposure, over Thursday night football, Saturday, Sunday night football, Monday night football, Sunday morning football? Were there too many commercials? Were there too? Was it just bad refereeing, bad quality of play? What exactly was the whole thing? Then once the presidential election uh, happened, was finished in uh, early November, the ratings did go up. So we can pretty much say that, yes, it was the presidential election and the interest. And also, I think there was also some bad matchups, too, as we the with the second half of the season, we saw some better matchups. So overall, ratings for the NFL were just about which were down by 18 percent in the first half of the season. Right. Basically leveled off a little bit in the second half of the season. So overall, they were down seven, 5 to 7%, depending on which um, uh, network partner you were, whether you a CBS or ESPN or Fox or NBC. So the ratings did level off a bit, but still, they were overall down from last year. The playoffs, we are seeing them down also, especially the wildcard round. They were down 9% from last year. That's got to be a concern to the NFL, although... Sunday's divisional playoff games, both good games, both go, um, close. Uh, Green Bay and Dallas in the late Sunday afternoon window uh, was the highest uh, divisional playoff game ever, and also for the uh, NBC, the first primetime game that we've seen uh, in that window. The Sunday night, the traditional Sunday night football uh, uh, window was got about uh, 21.9 million viewers. Uh, no, 37.1 million viewers. I'm getting my figures all mixed up. But uh, 37 million viewers, and that was the highest primetime playoff game ever. So uh, I have a feeling that we're going to see more Sunday night football prime game games, but also and at the same time, uh, the NFL is going to find a way to... Uh, do a uh, make sure that they can get improved windows and improve matchups. Also uh, try to get the, the better matchups for those Sunday night games uh, eventually when they when they start up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there.
0: Is is there an overall takeaway, like a condensed sound bite to take? Is is it just as simple as saying, look, you know, presidential elections happen and this one was somewhat <laughs> unique and, you know, uh, entertaining. I guess, to the point that it affected, uh, NFL ratings. Is it, is it something that was just kind of an anomaly or do you think that there's something at least from year one, that's worth taking out of this and saying, this is something to look at moving forward that, uh, as fans, at least if not, uh,
3: well, what, what they're not that it, we
0: should be uh, concerned about.
3: Right. Well, what they're not telling yeah, you is that in, since 2013, when the, the NFL had absolutely insane ratings and insane viewership. Yeah. The, the the viewership has gone down consistently since that time. So um, that's something the NFL has to be concerned about. Um, a lot of it could be cord cutting. A lot of it could be the quality of play. A lot of it could be the fact that the NFL, the NFL might be a victim of its own success. The fact is that the the the, uh, the pendulum was swung so high four years ago that the only the only way it can go is down. So maybe we're seeing an overall correction with the NFL, uh, for the last four years. And maybe we'll see another correction going the other way, uh, after the season, we'll have to only, the only thing time will tell on that. And, and that's a very interesting thing about when, for the, for us who follows these things is that we're always looking at the trends and we're always looking at the numbers and we're always trying to see what's going to be coming up. And right now, though, the only way that even though the NFL can say, Hey, look, uh, Our ratings are better in the second half of the season. Overall, it's been down. And since 2013, it's been going down.
1: Now, I'm glad you brought up cord cutting because that's sort of where the discussion went last week. And I freaked Joe out because I started talking about Cody's and PlayStation. I got Cody. Yeah, he got Cody. Now. The point that I brought up to JB is I recently cut K- – I, I, I was a cord cutter myself just this past weekend, decided we're done with it, you know, tired of to paying too much. And, now I've got the advantage of having several Cody players, which, you know, I can get my live sports and do. I'm curious, though, because and, – and I referenced Napster while talking about this back when Ah. napster yeah right right (laughs) back when napster first came around everyone was really quickly trying to get it shut down but, but my first thought was, this is where we're headed. And, and then, you know, once they finally got Napster shut down, Morpheus and Kazaa popped up, so on and so forth, until eventually you wound up with legal streaming services like Tidal, Spotify, where you could finally get all the music that you could possibly handle. They're just doing it at a nine ninety nine a month clip, which seems mm-hmm. to be the standard right now. We obviously are still in the midst of trying to figure things out, but are we headed towards an eventuality with cable television where products like Cody and View completely replace it?
3: It's going to be uh, – we're in a definitely wild, wild west situation with live streaming and streaming services. It almost seems like there's a new one popping up every day. Hulu is going into beta. DirecTV now is ha- it, it has been around for a couple of months, although they've had a lot of problems. There's Sling TV. There's PlayStation View uh, YouTube is going to have its own service. I'm sure I'm going to have all, my own streaming service probably in the next ten years. I have no idea. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I have to get all the uh, networks to agree with me. But uh, it, it's always interesting to hear about something new that pops up, and um, I think that they're all they're all trying to to see. What's going to be the next big thing? Now, iTunes was the one that really, as you mentioned, Napster, but then iTunes came around and then everybody else, uh, Spotify, and uh, as you mentioned, Tidal all eventually came around with the subscription model. I think what now we're trying to find out, especially with these new online services, is which is the one that's going to be the standard that everyone follows. Is it going to be Sling TV? Is it going to be Hulu? Is it going to be DirecTV Now? That's the whole thing. It, it, the prices are all over the place. Um, they could be nine ninety five or twenty one ninety five, or as the case of uh, DirecTV it was originally thirty five dollars a month for a hundred channels. Now that's gone up to sixty. So. Everyone's going to wait and see to see which one is going to be the one that's going to be the standard. And right now, no one knows what, who which one that is. Um, view right no- now
1: is kind of is kind of leading the pack in terms of what they offer. In so far as you can have a because when I did my research, what pulled me to View was the ability to have five different profiles all on at the same sure. time. A DVR that held literally everything if you wanted to for up to 28 days. The only downside for me is that I live in the Central Valley of California. I'm trapped in between two zones that do get the, uh, the network televisions, but mm-hmm. I get the on-demand. But for, what is it, I think I pay $55 a month for what's, I think it's called the Ultra Elite. And it's got just about everything that that I can handle. I, I mean, it, to me, it seems like right now, at the face of it, Sony's jumped out to a pretty good lead, at least in terms of the overall package being offered. Am I wrong there?
3: I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think the fact that they're they're able to to offer uh, live uh, s- some of the affiliates live, uh, a lot of them. Local affiliates uh, that that helps in, in that matter. The whole thing is that, that some channels, some of like DirecTV doesn't have CBS, while Hulu does have CBS, um, and there's others that don't have the other networks uh, networks too. So they're growing pains, but I think that's eventually. When everything's finally, when the dust all settles, I think they're all going to get it, and they're all going to be similar, just kinda of, kind of like the Comcast with your cables and direct TV and they have all their local affiliates there, so I think event that eventually is going to be coming uh, coming up, but the whole thing is is that the networks want to see who's going to be doing it. The networks want to see that who's which one's going to be the most successful and which one's going to be the most successful model, and which one they're going to pay the most so they can get the most money out of this because you know it's all about the money. <laughs> you know, they, they can all say that we want to provide a service, but it's all about trying to get money back in, in return and, and making money on on. Uh, from from the networks and from the uh distributors so uh, it, it's it's an interesting situation what we have here it, the, the dust hasn't settled yet it's going to take a while for it to mm-hmm. and until we finally get that standard the networks and, and are all trying to see which one they they want to lean towards the most and 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 see which one's going to be the most right. successful
1: last question before i i toss it over to joe i, I it's the, the big problem that I have right now with no matter which streaming service that you pick, and I'm wondering if you have an explanation for this or if it's something that was set up uh, during the initial contract negotiations, but live sports, whenever I watch on the view, even, even you know, just stuff that's on like ESPN, like I was watching uh, the Rose Bowl. And the Rose Bowl on the View or any other was like thirty seconds behind.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> and and yeah. that's kind of a bummer if if you do social media and watch live sports. It why why is that the case right now?
3: I think it's about uh, the standard, about the video streaming and and, and the speed, and, and the fact is is that it's just not quite up to the distribution of the sa- the cable companies and also the over the air broadcast. It just is. It's just you know it's getting a little bit better now. When I watch something on NBCSN it's pretty close to what I'm watching on DirecTV. I'll notice that if I'm watching the the, the, the internet apps. But as far as uh, TVs uh, I, I, I sampled DirecTV now. Um, there weren't... It was still, as you mentioned, 30 seconds off. I think that distri- distribution uh, method and, and also the, the speed and the upload, th- they're going to get better, but they still have to catch up to TV. and That's one of the reasons why some people don't want to uh, cut the cord yet, because there's still that delay, especially for live programming. But Uh, I have a feeling it will get better down the line. Perfect. Joe, go ahead. Yeah,
0: you mentioned the the delay and obviously cut a cord. Um, The deal with Twitter I I thought was a big deal this year. Obviously, at SB Nation, we had uh, some embedding capabilities where we had them broadcasting games. um, You know – Twitter obviously is its own vehicle and is, you know, separate from Facebook and things like that. But do do you see those kind of social media platforms as being independent uh, broadcast opportunities for the league that may be different than, you know, some of these other cable, you know, cord cutting, uh, you know, options, alternatives, things like that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, even though not as many people watched Thursday Night Football on Twitter that they were hoping for. The experience was pretty good. There was no lag. Um, I video thought it, was great. It, it was really, really good. I mean, the video quality was practically HD quality if, if, if you're watching it on, on a tablet, and I was pretty impressed by that. And the fact is that you could get it on whichever platform you wanted, whether it's your your laptop or whether your 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 computer or even if on a set top device. I had it. On I was TV watching a it times. while
1: I was in Target on my phone. I was like, "Holy crap! This is amazing quality." Yeah.
3: Yeah, it really was and there was no lag whatsoever and that's one thing that that was that that was a problem with Yahoo's experimentation with their with their online game last year um, right. uh, a couple of years ago from London they it just had a problem with some lag and everything so them buffering. You didn't have that with the Twitter experience and I think that's one thing that even though the viewership was low on Twitter, I think other sports leagues are seeing what Twitter was able to do and I think that's why they're continuing to sign sports leagues. They signed uh, agreements uh, with the NBA. They've signed agreements uh, with Major League Baseball. They've they signed agreements with other sports to live stream. And I think that's a big key um, for Twitter now. They have to figure out how to monetize that, and I know that Twitter people are saying Twitter is dying because you know they haven't been able to, to to find that one spark and what that one particular model that, that that will give Wall Street confidence in them. But still, if they're able to find a way to monetize this whole situation with the sports leagues and continue to sign other uh, live situations and, and and live events, I have a feeling that that's one thing that will make them stand out from the facebooks and from the Snapchats and from. Uh, any other particular social media um, uh, organizations that'll try to come down the road with their own type of the streaming? Because Twitter has been very aggressive with this. They're going to get some live golf too, and they're also doing something with the Australian Open for the these for the next couple of weeks. So I think that's going to be a big feather in their cap for for Twitter.
0: Interesting. that would be very cool. I have to take a look at that. Um, going going from the macro macro. To the micro what's the what's another way to say micro micro micro, <laughs> uh, micro. D- down to the the micro sure down to the Rams level um sure you know i i I, had, I saw that you'd posted on this at some point during the season I forget how long ago it was, but uh you know you know Ram's viewership in Los Angeles became a bit of a narrative. Fred roggins from the uh, NBC affiliate in Los Angeles was posting weekly uh, ratings for for at least most To the season, didn't really get him out near the end, but uh, the Rams really struggled to capture uh, market attention versus some of the bigger games uh, every weekend, and obviously down the stretch when the Rams weren't a viable uh, candidate for postseason drama, that certainly didn't help, but you you saw the Rams really struggle, and what we got was a story that, uh, uh, what I found from St. Louis media originally. Uh, But that got verified from other uh, sources was that, you know, less people in Los Angeles were watching the NFL this year and less people certainly were watching Fox broadcast because the Rams were on there and kind of uh, replacing what would have otherwise been really entertaining games throughout December. Do, what is your feeling on how uh, NFL football returned to Los Angeles affected uh, media perception and, the, and you know market saturation that kind of thing and, and moving forward? How, how worried would you think maybe the Rams are, or the NFL is that you know the ratings went down in, in a market? And obviously we talked about the idea that the ratings went down uh, nationwide and, and as a whole, but the fact that you didn't have a rating spike for a sport that returned. The market for the first time in twenty plus years. Uh, do do you think that's a concern? And the, the the fact that they didn't exploit that honeymoon for more. Do you think that's something that uh, may offer some medium term, long term concerns?
3: Well, I found it quite interesting that, and I've always felt this that the NFL needed Los Angeles more than Los Angeles needed the NFL. And sure. what I mean mean by that is that the fact is that the the fans were kind of happy with the fact that they were getting. Double headers every week. They did. They weren't under the blackout rule, and sure, they were the secondary market to this to the Chargers, and the CBS affiliate was obligated to pick up their their games. But for the most part, Fox they didn't have that problem with Fox. They didn't have that problem uh, because the Chargers were on CBS, and so they were able to get the Cowboys every week or, or a pretty good a pretty decent game. Now. You have to you, you have the the now you get the Rams coming in this season and you fall under the blackout rule that um, the fact is that when the Rams are playing a home game you can't have a game on CBS you know on against it so then you're used to having three games on the afternoon and then another game at night so you're, you're used to getting uh, th- that whole situation there and, and I think the NFL, I think fans didn't like that too much I'm, I'm not, I mean I'm from the East Coast so I'm looking at it from the outside looking in but I know that judging from some of the tweets I saw from Los Angeles. And so the reaction is that, you know, they, 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 they were missing that. <laughs> and, and and I, I didn't think they warmed too much to the Rams as the NFL was hoping to, to see that. And I think that they're going to find out with the Chargers too, because the, uh, knowing that the, the, the Raiders had been there and had that background from, from like 20 years ago, had the Raiders come in, I think there would have been a little bit more excitement than when the, the announcement last week that the Chargers were going to be there. So um, it's, I have a feeling that uh, when they have two teams next season, the ratings are going to take another hit. And that maybe that's just me, but um, I have a feeling that that's sure. just going to happen. And, uh, you know, people who are, you know, I know that fans are used to seeing the Chargers in the Los Angeles market because they were secondary, but I have a feeling that now that the home team, that might take a little, even a little bit more of a hit. And that's that's something that the NFL doesn't want to see.
0: Do you think per- perhaps between splitting the market and um, – you know, the, the ratings decline since 2013 that you alluded to, and, and, and kind of some of the, the – what's the right word? I guess the criticism uh, that the league has taken over the last year and a half since this relocation wave really kicked off, do you think – Think maybe they're overplaying their hand, broadcast-wise. The fact that you know they 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 went into the playoffs, like you said, dealing with some second-half strength, but but some of the issues that they faced early on and couldn't really deal with, you know, a, a political season and things like that. Do you think maybe the inelastic demand is getting a little bit more elastic for the NFL as a whole? Yeah, let yeah, alone it, it for could, the Rams and NFL.
3: Very much so, and I I have a feeling that it's something that they're going to have to continue to deal with. Um, and again, you, you, we're talking with uh, with Los Angeles, which is a very—I uh, don't want to say finicky market because that's unfair. But I, no, I you know, no, no, it's totally <laughs> fair. It's finicky. Fair. It's really <laughs> finicky. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly finicky. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and we, we all know that it's a it's it's a basketball town and a and a baseball town, and it's been and it got and it got used for an entire generation not to have football there. And they were thinking, hey, right. this is a great thing, you know, but then the, you know, the NFL says, hey, if you want to, if you want to lost Super Bowl, you really need a team there and a stadium. And, you know, they're kind of like, they're kind of steamrolling things in it. And, and maybe some fans aren't liking what they're seeing. You know, the, the fans are like saying, why, why couldn't this happen organically? Why, why couldn't we gotten, you know, perhaps another team or, or, or maybe uh, have an expansion franchise or something like that? And I think that's that's maybe turned off some fans the way that uh, this whole Rams process came in. And now the charges came in, um, you know, because uh, it reading some of those.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and seeing some of the criticism from Sam Farmer from the Los Angeles times, some of his work over the last couple of weeks over this relocation of the charges has been absolutely fantastic. He's been saying that there's been no excitement, no buzz, and he can't wait to see what the, what the buzz looks like at, at the uh, StubHub Center next year in Carson. So I, I'm going to be, Interested in seeing that as well because you know the, the last couple of seasons. I mean, I really haven't seen the excitement when when the Rams moved from Los Angeles to St. Louis. You saw the genuine excitement and you saw the the ratings go up and spike up there in, in, in St. Louis for for quite some time until they got bad again. But there was no. I mean, when the Rams came back, there wasn't like there were a few fans that say, "Hey, yeah, great to see them back," but there wasn't really that um, groundswell. And, and that 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 uh, that support that you would you would think that you would see of a team moving into a, a market because Los Angeles really is one of those markets that's, you know, it, it, that we, you know, it's OK if we have them. It's, it's really not. It's OK if we don't, you know, and, yep. <laughs> and, and we saw that this year. And I think we and I think the NFL maybe made a miscalculation in thinking, well, you know, we have the second market and we'll see the ratings go up. It just didn't happen. What well,
1: my questions to you before we get you out of here is I want to talk about this piece that that you wrote, uh, I believe, today uh, on uh, Baltimore Ravens owner Steve Bishotti, uh, and And I thought it was a really well-written piece, especially with regard to ownership speaking out candidly against things that the league – are doing, you don't see that too often, and you mention that in the piece. And I think Bashadi really hit the nail on the head. I'll uh, read that quote here. He says, uh, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that nobody wants to see two minutes of commercials. Come back, kick the ball, and then go to a two and a half, two and a half minutes of commercials, Bashadi said. I've thought that was absurd since I was 20 years old. And and I, I, you know, for my part, for Joe's part, I know we've talked about this on the show. It's something to me I think that plagues football. Like it's it's it, it really there's a reason that I like college games. It for all the advertising that's done most of it is really done on the actual pitch and field itself. It's almost like soccer in that regard where they can somehow shovel everything that they, you know, the all state good hands field goal net, you know, the, the, the tampon entry tunnel, you know, whatever, whatever the hell you want to call it, they have it. What is the NFL going to do about this situation? Because it almost reminds me of the pace of play argument that happened with baseball.
3: Right, right. I agree with that. And and, and, the, and I thought it was a very fascinating, the fact that, A, it was done on the team website. It wasn't like the Baltimore Sun that did it. It was the Baltimore Ravens that put out this article about Steve Bishotti and his quotes. And normally you don't see an owner say, you know, Maybe our product is really not is turning people off. You really don't hear that. And and for someone like Steve Buscemi who who really does a hands off policy on his team, who only speaks out when he feels it's necessary, I think that's that that take, that that really grabs your attention. And the fact that he mentioned the commercials, which is something been a complaint by 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 fans all over the country. It's not just us. It's not that not just us in the media. It's fans all over the country. And even when I watch. Um, and, and through TunnelBear, I'm able to watch the BBC broadcast uh, simulcasts of the games in London. They'll even mention this is the ridiculousness of the of the score, uh, the touchdown slash field goal break, kickoff break sequence. They just don't understand that because they're used <laughs> to they're used to the English Premier League with yeah, no commercials whatsoever. Group. They go straight through, and there's only commercials at halftime. And they don't understand that concept. They don't like why are they just standing around doing nothing for two minutes, and and, and they don't understand that concept. And I, I tried to explain it to a Euro. I have no defense for it. You know, <laughs> you have we really don't have any because it's just ridiculous. And I think that's for an owner to speak out about that. And and I have a feeling the NFL is going to do something about this next season. It may it may lead to having maybe three minute commercial breaks, but at the same time. Um, to reduce those breaks, those ridiculous uh, uh, sequence of two minutes of, of just little action and more commercials. Um, and we all joke about it on Twitter. It's nice to see a commercial, uh, some action break up the commercial breaks. Uh, you know, that it, it's just out of hand. And I think people have uh, have, have reached the, the limit on that. And when an owner speaks out to that point, you know something is bad.
1: Yeah, I have a, uh, for the record, Joe, he brought up soccer first, so I get a pass. Uh, But I have a Manchester City podcast, and I'm slated tomorrow, actually, to appear on the Blue Moon podcast, which is an ESPN FC one. And uh, the guy who does it, uh, uh, David Moody, he was talking to me about the NFL, and I can't count the number of questions he asked that had nothing to do with the game itself, but centered on the idea of action, commercial, action, commercial, action, commercial. He's like, why don't you guys just slap some advertising on the kits and call it a day? And I'm like, well, you're starting to see that in the NBA, but I don't know if it's affected the number of commercial breaks. Is, yeah, I- is that a possible – what? what's the word I'm looking for here – Maybe a measuring stick that we could watch to see how that unfolds. Now that the NBA has sort of embraced the idea of of additional branding on the uniforms themselves,
3: you know, it, 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 just, you know, football fans, soccer fans, I should, uh, I should say, have gotten used to seeing um wh- wh- whomever uh, the sponsor is uh, whether it's a, a Chinese sponsor or an American sponsor or a European sponsor on a on the on a on a, uh, on a on a EPL kit and i think if the NFL is open to that just to put a little patch on the on the like the upper left shoulder or upper left uh, uh, of, of a jersey you know it, that doesn't make it too uh, Obscuring of, of of the of the numbering, I think the fans would would be okay with that, and if it if it uh, reduces the amount of commercials, I think that'd be a great thing. Now they're doing it, as you mentioned, the NBA. I don't know if they're reducing the amount of commercial breaks because apparently Adam Silver has said uh, the problems with the with the timeouts in the last five minutes um, has, is a problem uh, with millennials. So uh, so. We'll have to wait and see if, if 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 something like that can actually reduce the amount of commercial breaks in the NBA. Whereas maybe something like that could could happen in in the NFL. Um, it, it, the NFL controls a lot of things, and we've seen that with the people trying to write messages on their cleats or put messages on their on their headbands. Um, maybe the NFL can reduce can loosen that restriction up and maybe allow some uh, type of commercial endorsement. I know they do it on the practice jerseys during the preseason. So. We'll see if, that, if that's something that they'll be open to uh, down the road to perhaps reduce that commercial load and, and reduce the, really what has become overload uh, to, to fans uh, when they want to watch a game and they see a, a commercial instead.
1: Joe, you got any last things here for Ken before we let him get out of here?
3: I'm just going to say two words before my final
0: questions face tattoos. I'm just <laughs> saying Under <laughs> Armour could. There's free billboard space on a lot of beautiful <laughs> cheekbones to be. Yeah. Um well I'll, I'll throw you one one that I had mentioned to Josh uh, watching the mega cast this year for the uh, national championship. I love it cuz I love Oh yeah. I love the coach's room. I love the sounds of the game. My my wife literally made me turn that off this year. She thought it was too creepy where she where it sounded like uh, you know you were at the game and you couldn't hear any announcers or anything. It was just the uh, uh, the crowd announcer at the stadium. She made me turn it off. I love it. Do, do you think do you sense that there's any, uh, you know, mo- momentum behind anybody trying to build on that or anything similar to that?
3: Well, we've seen it for the Final Four already—the Homer broadcast for the Final Four on TBS. Right. I have a feeling right. that uh, we we could. The, the Super Bowl hasn't said anything. I think that we have to wait till the next TV contract. Uh, to see if a mega cast could come to the Super Bowl, but I know that uh, for a fact that uh, you know a Fox would love to do something like that. Maybe have uh, one feed on FS1 and another feed on on FX while while the main yeah, feed exactly. is going on Fox. Um, NBC can do it. CBS can do it. So NBC I, I, already
1: I, does it with the uh, Premier League on Boxing Day and the end of the season.
3: Right. Right. So it can be done. A mega cast can be done. I think the the networks are salivating because there's more money to be made on that. Uh, and, and you know, they make a lot of, they make $5 million per 32nd spot for this year for Fox. It's probably going to go up to five, 5.2 million next season when it's on NBC. So, um, there's more money to be had, especially if they do a mega cast. It's something that the, the league is, I'm sure the NFL is looking at. And, uh, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, in the next TV contract, uh, whether it's uh, if it continues with the uh, current uh, configuration of partners or if a new partner comes in that uh, whether TNT or, you know, maybe Twitter does it or something like that, that there'll be a mega cast somewhere. Um, I, I would not be yeah. a surprise to see it yeah, at least yeah, done yeah, at least uh, for, at least if not for the Super Bowl, maybe for the conference championship games. And I think that would be absolutely great to see something like that, because, you know, I think the NFL would, would want to expand. And they know that they would they would love to see that type of thing and, and reach a younger audience too because the uh, the, the mega cast was has been successful and works quite well and even seeing a Bill and doing a sound to the game for a Super Bowl I think sure. I'd love to watch that yeah.
2: and Especially especially that outfit again Ken I know you gotta yeah, go exactly. but I, I, no, oh, go, ahead. go ahead go ahead Joe no no has got it you got it okay Ken I know you you gotta go but I just have. Uh one quick question since we brought sure. we brought up streaming again do you think that Twitter could potentially ever get to the point where they are competing with the 5 million pound gorilla in the streaming world in terms of sports that being MLB Advanced Media <sighs>
3: Yeah, it, it, they have to get the audience first. We only saw like a uh, – they didn't add much to the Thursday Night Football audience um, uh, this year, this season, this past season that uh, that added with CBS. They were only um, streaming the games of, of CBS and NBC. Uh, they didn't have much of an audience. Um, if they're able to f- – Gain a, a much bigger audience and, and find themselves with a uh, a, a clamoring uh, from people to do this, uh, and, and able to convince the leagues that yes, they could be a viable partner. Then I see them, you know, being able to eat into what able what uh, MLB uh, Advanced Media is able to do. Um, MLB Advanced Media is such a big big thing that you know ESPN bought into it, bought thirty three percent of stake into it last year. And that surprised a lot of people. I wouldn't be surprised to see that uh, if that expand to a 50 percent stake down the line or maybe EB- ESPN even buying the whole thing um, through, its, uh, through its partner, uh, through its uh, parent company, Disney. So um, but for Twitter to reach that, they've, they've got to get critical mass and they haven't reached that point yet. Uh, they're, they're getting a lot of partners. They're getting a lot of live sports, as we mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast. But uh, for them to to get more. Uh, partnerships with other leagues, they've got to be able to produce an audience and they haven't been able to do that yet.
2: And then real quick, I know we're a football show here, but since we brought up, I brought up MLB Advanced Media, I can't let you go without asking you, what the heck is up with A-Rod's new show where he's giving <laughs> financial advice to broke athletes?
3: Well, this is something that's in the in the early stages. It's a, it's a pilot show that's going to be produced for CNBC. We have to wait and see if it gets to be picked up for an entire season. But apparently he's going to host a show in which he helps ex-athletes who uh, have financial problems and team them up with financial advisors and career uh, coaches and life coaches to see if they can uh, uh, be able to recover some of the money that they've, they've lost down the line. Um it, it, we've seen uh, A. Rod as a uh, potential very good analyst on a uh, uh, during the postseason on, on Fox, and he partners with Pete Rose and makes a very funny show. They should have a reality show together, to be honest with you. But um, th- this show is again, it, it's a pilot. We have to wait and see if it's going to be picked up. But uh, the fact he's going to be hosted, maybe he can be he can uh, become uh, president down the line, as you know, President Trump has used a reality show to. To partly that and to become a president of his own, so we'll have to wait and see. But I, I, I'm, I'm just be I'm joking, but um, you know we'll have to wait and see uh, on this show, and maybe he can turn that around and uh, become a, a viable TV personality uh, down the line.
1: All right, Ken, man, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for for your time. I guess my final question to you is this, and it's more about the blog industry and in and, and how things are shaping up, but. I'm, uh, right now, you, you look at the credentialing process and a lot of uh, professional sports organizations, college, uh, are starting to come around to it more. Uh, various different colleges are taking a chance on, on SB Nation and Fan Sighted and, and things like that. But are the leagues fighting the inevitable with with blogs, given the fact that now it's basically with with newspaper print basically going the way of the dinosaurs and teams focusing everything all of their best content in-house like the rams and like you even said with the ravens putting this stuff out is it basically going to be a war between in-house media and
3: blogs for the foreseeable future it's going to be interesting to see how that happens um, because it's it's all about controlling content and providing content to your readers. And as you mentioned, newspapers have been fighting that uh, a losing battle against the, the audience and, and and against blogs. We've you know I, I even back to when I attended blog, uh, blogs with balls uh, back in 19, uh, back in two thousand eight. Uh, it was always about. Uh, gaining access for the blogs and being able to become mainstream and can we be mainstream and now we're seeing blogs actually becoming mainstream and uh, writers, mainstream writers working for blogs now and and, and making money off of it so um, whether they can get uh, I mean they're I don't want to say they've been they're becoming totally mainstream but at the same time you know we're, we're seeing a a lot of increased readership in blogs and, and and attention paid to them and you know we're serious I mean it used to be the joke was that we were all in our mother's basement writing writing our stuff you know not all of us were running out of our mother's basement some of them some of them were some of us were business owners some of us were actually pretty good at uh, writing what what we were doing so um It's going to be an interesting battle. And as you mentioned, in-house versus the regular independent blogs. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle to see what happens there because, you know, it's all about controlling the content and whether the in-house blogs, the in-house team sites can actually provide a better coverage than the independents. And that's going to be uh, a continuing battle that we're going to be seeing over the next few years. And, you know, who's going to be writing for whom? We see some uh, mainstream writers working for, for team uh, sites now, and also working for blogs. So, yeah, it uh, it's going to be very interesting to see who who wins that battle now over the next five years or so.
1: Right on. Well, Ken, before we let you get out of here, what we always like to do with our guests at the at the end of their segment is give them an opportunity Just to humiliate talk about. Them. Well, yeah, yeah, we're going to humiliate you right now, sure. or. We're also going to give you the opportunity to talk about anything that you have coming up, any pieces that you're working on, any shout-outs that you want to give, or anywhere that you want to direct people to get in contact with you, either via social media or with your
3: work. Well, they can always – Get me through my Twitter account, which is at FangsBytes. It's never locked. It's never private. It's always public. So if you want to say something, to, uh, you know, whether positive or negative, I don't really mind. It, 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 at least you're, we're interacting and we're, we're discussing things and uh, you can catch me there. You can also go to my Facebook page, which is Facebook uh, slash FangsBytes. You can message me there, post anything on my wall, as long as it's not uh, out of reason. And, uh, you know, I'm, t- I'm I'm taking the next couple of days off, but uh, anything breaks, I'll be back on awful announcing, writing things up. So um, you always catch me at awful announcing, and always catch me at Fang Bites as well. So um, always h- happy to uh, interact with uh, anybody who wants to has a question or wants to uh, ha- wants to you know say something positive or negative. So always glad to talk to people.
2: Ken, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure as josh and joe do as well
3: and our listeners do too well thank you very much for contacting me and anytime you want me on just let me know i'll be happy to do it with you all right thanks ken thanks very much Just up, man yeah
0: unusual, unusually smart <laughs> stuff I feel like we, now we have to balance that out by being, like, stupid for a half hour. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: let's be stupid
0: for a half hour. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about oh, it. This. This is, oh, this is going to be comfortable. Uh- <laughs> hey, I told you guys he'd be good.
2: I told you guys he'd be good. I do not think you were yeah. expecting him to be that good.
0: Well, the, here, here's the thing that the, the, you know when 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 that's the topic of conversation. The, the, there's so much more importance there than 90 percent of the shit that we talk about. And I, I don't mean to demean talking about the Rams, but. You know, so much of the bottom of the roster and the bottom of the coaching staff and, and the shitty performances, eighty percent of the season, that stuff doesn't matter, and, and that's stuff that we won't remember. But the the way that the industries are changing, broadcast industry, uh, media coverage and analysis industry, um, technology, all all those kind of things are way more important than. You know, oh, the Rams sucked week three against whoever, and obviously not this season. But I'm just saying in general, you know, the, the, it, it's it's not that it's not worth talking about. It's just one of those things where, especially in a year like this, you go four and twelve, and we put so much effort week to week in dissecting and analyzing the Rams, and when they come out and you have the season you have, it's like, man, we could have spent, you know, three months talking about. Sean McVeigh. We could have spent minutes <laughs> talking about other coordinators and the draft and all that stuff. And you know, you got to do it for for obvious reasons. But it's just one of those things that when you have the conversation that we had and you get a chance to talk to Ken about the stuff that we did, you realize that the the macro macro picture is just so much more important. It's it's much more important the the way that we talk about watching NFL football games you know on what? Twitter. I mean, who the
1: hell you told know, you it was macro?
0: What? See, I'm a Jif guy. And so I, the same people say, who the hell told you it was Jif? Look, I'm going with Jif. I'm leaving yeah, Macro. Jif
1: is, I... is fine. I get that. But I, it's always been Macro. I've never heard anyone pronounce it uh, Macro. All right. Uh, I've heard of a Mako shark. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that would be cool. A Mako analysis. Mako.
2: F- finishing your thought, got Joe.
1: what well,
2: well, finishing your thought, Joe.
0: Yeah, I, I, it was just one of those things where you know, I, I, it, when we talk about you know broadcasting NFL games on Twitter and you know the the, the mega cast and all this stuff, it's all so new, and it's it's just one of those things that I'm interested to see year to year how it develops and and, and moving forward the opportunities. For this sport to increase I- I- exposure, and, and one of the things that, you know, we linked to today in, in the Brent Five Myths of Relocation piece, this idea that Roger Goodell has this goal to grow the NFL to a $25 billion revenue uh, entertainment behemoth, you know, th- this is where it's going to happen, and, and it's going to happen with stadium sites like what uh, Stan Kroenke is building in Inglewood. It's not going to happen with winning football, and it's not going to happen with, you know, entertainment games like what we saw between the Packers and the Cowboys, you get entertaining football every year. Look, we talked about the Rose Bowl last week. You get entertaining football all the time. That's not going to double revenues for these sports. It's going to happen when you have smart business people and, and smart entrepreneurs getting together to find ways to get new content into people's devices and TV or whatever whatever's coming in the future you know like Google Glass whatever's coming when you get NFL football into it so that they can get more of it in a more meaningful way, that's what's going to increase the sports revenues. And I think that's at the forefront of the Rams moving forward, man. The, the, the decision to hire Sean McVay was the dominant story of this last week. But but I think maybe more importantly, and especially long-term, the fact that the Chargers are coming to L.A. and Los Angeles is a two-team NFL city again. I, I think yeah. you know that's not yeah. something we, we – we touched on it real quick with Ken. But I think that's a more dominant story – You know, Mako is looking at the fact that Los Angeles has two NFL football
2: teams. Agreed. I'm I'm really interested to see how that's going to play out over, you know, not just next season, but, uh, you know, the next five to ten years, how that could potentially hinder or develop the future of the NFL in Los Angeles. Go
1: ahead, Josh. Oh, all I was gonna say is that I I I I tend to agree with Ken when I he says that he thinks ratings are gonna dip next year. I, I also think that they're going to, and I think that we're gonna see a steady decline of ratings in Los Angeles because Philip Rivers is closer to retirement than he is to winning a Super Bowl. Um, uh, I I think his best chances have come and passed. Now maybe the San Diego Chargers get lucky before he decides to hang it up but uh when he drafted around 2003 2004 he was was 2004 yeah 2004 he was the Eli Manning Manning with the with the famous swap yep I won't play in San Diego um that guy's still a jackass for saying that Uh, (laughs) um but uh well he has two rings he does, he does. And, and and Eli, but you know what, though? It's us to say that Eli couldn't have got two rings with San Diego, you know? I, I, I mean, Philip Rivers came pretty damn close to beating the Patriots, and, and it appears that all you need to do to beat the Patriots in an important game is to have Eli Manning. So, there you go. Uh,
0: and I, I, but, I think it's also worth pointing out, look, when we're talking about Rivers— we're not just talking about Philip Rivers in a vacuum. We're talking now about Philip Rivers versus Jared Goff for however oh, yeah. long Philip Rivers is what to say. It is. It absolutely and you, it, for anybody that paid attention to the event that they had at the forum today, you know Rivers understandably was at the forefront of it not just because he's a quarterback, but he's he's incredibly likable in, in a very in a very homespun and, and simple way yeah. and, and and not contrived. In a very sincere way. Where 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 you get that he's not putting up with any bullshit and and not in a bad way, not but in like a stuck bullshit. up way. He will he do, yeah, yeah, but that's that what I mean. Word. Like it's it's not in a fake PR coach way. It's just he's a normal guy. He's a normal guy who's very good at being the quarterback. Yeah. A very a very,
1: very, very good quarterback who refuses to swear and has almost as many kids as Antonio Cromartie.
0: Um, That's incredibly likable for a lot yeah. for a lot of reasons. And yeah, the other thing I've I'd always in there. loved no, Philip Rivers
1: and his trash talking sure. because he sure. does it without swearing. Now, if you're gonna be an expert level trash talker and and not smart, if you're gonna be able to talk trash to the NFL with the best of them and you don't swear, you have to be elite level. And Philip Rivers, even when you hear people ask around the league, people will tell you that Philip Rivers is an elite level trash talker, and he does it all without swearing. And I find that to be so likable about the guy. Like it's 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 idiosyncratic. It's a quirk. It's 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 Philip Rivers. Like you're saying, Joe. And now what I'm curious about is when you look at that, when you look at the fact that he is such a personality, and then you've got Jared Goff, who's one snap away from being worse than Cody Kessler, who do you think it seems to me like the, the Chargers have a real opportunity here to separate themselves from the Rams even before the Rams can build their cathedral.
0: So here's what you got to see: the Rams got a huge head. Start. I mean, they've got. They. I, I know what Ken said. I understand what he was saying that the ratings didn't indicate a huge following in Los Angeles upon their return, and that's certainly true. But you you can't ignore the in-person. And, and, and let's be honest: it was guys my age and older who remember the Los Angeles Rams of the '90s, '80s and 70s that brought their kids and wives and friends and, and helped and, and you know their associates and uh, you know second tier third tier, uh, friends that that built that big, big swell early on at, at training camp and at the preseason games and helped build up that honeymoon phase where you saw some really impressive numbers. That died out, and, and, and I, let's be honest, I, I honestly think that's done. I, th- I think the Rams go into this season with the same kind of home market uh, – in person expectations, attendance-wise, as any other NFL team, and I think that's you know fair. What what I think is different is like we're saying they've got a second team, and this team isn't coming with any hometown baked-in support. It, it, the forum event that I was referring to, I think they had like something like a, somewhere between 150 to 300 people, is what most reporters were citing today. There's there's just not there's no starting point for this franchise in Los Angeles i get it you know 50 what is it 50 years ago 53 or whatever it is years ago yeah they were the los angeles chargers that's that's history book stuff right there, there's just there's just not a a built in support
1: for the, chargers, chargers, the chargers for one year that's why yeah, yeah,
0: even I if they were, I mean, really it, dated in
1: middle school. It, it doesn't
0: count. It's just negligible. Yeah, it's just totally negligible. And so, what's real interesting is this is essentially a, a franchise that's starting from scratch that that we haven't seen uh, in the NFL in quite some time. Well, um, here, here's you know, the Rams.
2: factor. That uh, Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry, Joe. Uh, that no, I think but, some people aren't thinking about the fact they're playing at the StubHub Center and the fact that it only holds. Sure. 30000
1: They're going to have a a chance to pack that out every week. And and that's what soccer stadiums do. See, and and people who've never been to a soccer stadium are going to realize that awnings are the greatest damn thing you've ever seen in your entire life. Like, (laughs) right? Anybody who's ever been to a soccer stadium would tell you a thing or two about an awning, except when the sun's staring in your face. Then it sucks. But, um, yeah, you know, Scott, you make an excellent point. Being able to pack consistently, knowing that you can get 30,000 fans in there and to create a small but intense environment, look you don't need to have a 100,000 fans to generate an insane amount of noise. You need to have a, a condensely packed area, and, 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 that, and that stub-up center is wired for noise there. I've, I've seen a couple of games there, and uh, it can get extraordinarily loud. It's a nice area. Uh, the walk-up there sucks a couple of balls, but then again... Every single stadium in Los Angeles requires a walk that sucks a little bit of balls, especially Chavez
0: Ravine. Two, two, three, two things I'd throw out there. If we're talking about the, the excitement moving forward, beyond you know, well beyond today, once we get to football, it, here's what I'd suggest: that the Chargers, if you go back to 2003 have had, what, half a dozen winning seasons, something like that, so half a dozen playoff, uh, uh, you know, berths, and obviously they got Phillip Rivers, who's got plenty of postseason experience. They're coming off of the worst two back-to-back seasons uh, since the turn of the century, right, uh, at the end of the Junior Seau area, era. Um, you know, they, they've got a lot to work on. What, what I'd say, though, is this year they went, they went from 26th in points in 2015 to 9th. They had a huge improvement offensively, and that was without Keenan Allen. A lot to be really excited about if you're a Chargers fan. Now I get it. This is not a certain. This is not a period of a lot of excitement for Chargers fans. What, but the on-field product, if you're if you're asking where the Chargers are going to be moving forward as a football team, there's a lot to be very positive about. The, 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 uh, what you I would note is you. Are seasons
1: gonna- San Diego has had. Since the Rams have had a winning season, I think three. Yep, three. That's it. Three and losing seasons, and one of those was a seven and nine.
0: That's right. So they, they, and that was that was the one that got to North Turner fired. So they've been incredibly successful as an on-field football product. The other thing is we're talking about stadium they still size, and noise, in the division
1: no, that year.
0: Yeah, the Rams played in the goddamn Coliseum. And we went four and 12. So stadiums, I get it. There's optics to be had when it's packed and it's noisy. That's great. If the Rams play in the Coliseum next year, the way they did this year, it's going to be even more empty. And, it- and think about what we're talking about. We're talking about a season, and this is the big story, obviously, for the Rams. Was that you know hiring Sean McVay? That Jeff Fisher is one of the more deserving scapegoats in the history of mankind, right? That they they exorcised him from the franchise. Out with him went all these concerns about the offense and all this other stuff. And I get it. That there's a time for celebration, and Rams fans are enjoying it. the The only the only time yeah, I'd throw it out there that the last two years the Rams have had the worst offense in the NFL. They're bringing in this guy that's a a you know the youngest head coach in, in NFL history, offensive wizard. He's going to bring in all the we talked about Greg Olson, the former offensive coordinator for the Rams when they were in St. Louis, is going to be the quarterbacks coach. They're going to bring in all these names. There's going to be all this hype. Yet again, the, I'm not saying that I think it's going to happen. What I'm really What I would ask you is to raise this idea in your own mind. If the Rams aren't very good again, if they're not good as a team, if they're not good on offense, you can't point to Jeff Fisher anymore. They can't, they can't point to Jeff Fisher's guys on the coaching staff. It, 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 if the Rams struggle this season, it's because the Rams suck. It's not because Can Jeff I take Fisher I on that, too? I, yeah. I, I just want to yeah. say that, you know, people look at McVay and people
1: look at, okay, Wade Phillips is coming in as the defensive coordinator. Going back to the Premier League, this thing kind of reminds me, if people are in this Pep Guardiola mode right now, like when Pep Guardiola took over City, there are all these fans thinking, okay, Pep's going to come in, City going to win work. the league. It's got to it's, work. It's, it's done. It's over. Oh, and shit, it doesn't work. That's how that's playing yeah. out because you still have to exercise the demons of the yeah. previous coaching regimes in order to fully install what it is you want to do. And City are, for better or for worse, erratic. That's, that's the best term you could use to describe them. And now this is a team that's had moderate success in the last five years. Flipping over to the Los Angeles Rams, we're talking about a pretty incredible turnover, especially when you look at the the number of leadership positions that will be gone in about a two year span. Okay, you you talk about Tremaine Johnson, likely gone. Janoris Jenkins, already gone. Rodney McLeod already gone. James Laurinaitis, already gone. You know, Chris Long, already gone. Oh, look at Jared Cook doing big damn things in Green Bay because he ain't playing for the Rams. So I guarantee I guarantee you there's more to come. There's more to come. Yes. Yes, there is. There is going to be substantial turnover. And you listen to the interview that I had. With Ben Albright, and he talked about some of the things that the, some of the pieces that the Rams are looking to bring in. So you look at a team that went four and twelve. You say they're going to lose even more of their best players. They don't have a. They have a draft. They just don't have a strong ability to draft early. So they have a draft. They're just going to have to do due diligence. This is a process that's going to take some time. And the question is whether or not the Rams are going to afford McVay
0: that time. And whether Rams fans are going to understand that, right? I mean, there are Rams fans who, instead of pumping the brakes, have hit the accelerator. Yeah. This is it. I've seen people say, "Oh, this has been a perfect off season." I've seen people say, "Every move (laughs) has worked." I've seen people say. I, I saw one guy throw out the word dynasty. I saw the that, that that the Rams are on the verge of. What do you? We haven't had a winning season since two thousand three. But I get it. I get it. That that the excitement builds and it builds this kind of delusion and all that. That I, and and I'm hoping, Look, I'm a Rams fan, Josh Scott. You guys know this. I'm I'm hoping everything falls into place. But it's just not realistic to expect that when you're coming off of two years back to back of the worst offense in the league that's that's not just because of your quarterback that's not just because of your coach it's a comprehensive issue and it's it's going to take time to fix that out and it's going to take new blood and it's just one of those things where i worry that the rams have already scraped the bottom of the barrel so often and and look we saw it this season starting out the preseason ninety thousand fans pack stadium training camp now you throw the chargers into the market you you got a second year and and if the rams whatever the rams do whether it's whether it's a losing season or a mediocre season god help us if we can find a way to a winning season that cures everything but but if not you're looking at the 2018 season, where all of a sudden <clears throat> the Chargers might have established themselves. The the Rams don't have Jeff Fisher to point at anymore, and, and at some point you're worried about stasis. And, and and this is what Sean McVay has been hired to do is to 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 change the fortunes for a team where the roster wasn't the problem two years ago. The roster, yeah, you talked about all the names that they lost: Janoris Jenkins, Chris Long, James Laurinaitis, Jared Cook. They had, they had all this talent. Roster wasn't the problem. This was this this was a league in which Joe Flacco was winning Super Bowls, right? Eli mm-hmm. Eli Manning has won two Super Bowls in which, you know, Blake Bortles was a top draft. The Rams had talent. Talent wasn't the problem. Nick Foles was winning 10 games with the Eagles. Then he came to the Rams, and all of a sudden everything blew to shit. It, it wasn't a talent issue. It was an application issue. And so yeah. now the Rams hopefully – have fixed the person at the head of what they what they hope to be the guy to provide the application and oversee the 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 managers in terms of the position coaches to put to install things and obviously you got to get right in terms of talent that's great but the the, the personnel is coming down and you mentioned the fact they don't have a ton of talent at the top of the draft to be able to pick from. You're looking at if the Rams' third-round pick, right? Because assuming we get that compensatory pick in the third round for Janoris Jenkins, that's the one that'll go to Tennessee. The Rams will keep their. Hey, we gotta we gotta agree on a word for this. Is it an organic, a natural? What what's the right word for the pick? They're, they're assigned. They're a naturally assigned third-round pick. Ascribed. They're ascribed.
1: ascribed, posi- let, ascribed let's, say, position. let's
0: say they're ascribed. So let's say they're ascribed. Right. You're at uh, the third round, so right around sixty eighth, something like that, uh, mm-hmm. is where they're going to be sixty ninth, seventieth.
2: They're
0: only going to have they're only going to have one pick in the top sixty seven players. So think think about that in terms of like college recruiting. If you've only got one pick in the top sixty seven. It's very hard to keep pace with your peers. It's not that you can't get better. There's plenty of other players outside of the top that you can still find diamonds in the rough and guys that fit your system and that kind of thing.
1: The Rams are not rolling over a lot of capital, too. The tweet that went out earlier today, they've only got like $300,000 rollover minutes.
0: And to to clarify that, the Rams do – I don't know why they do this. I reached out to Kevin Demoff. I know he's got a busy – he was busy today – I expect to hear from soon is that the, the Rams use their extra cap room to spend on bonuses. Now, why, why they do that? I don't know, but, but they're I think the only NFL team that does this, they spend their available cap room at the end of the year on incentives that would otherwise roll over with that money. And then they just have both of them wiped out. So the net difference is, is zero, you you could just roll over the bonuses and roll over the money and spend it in 2017, but for whatever reason, Demoff and the Rams decide to do it now. So it's just one of those things where the number looks real paltry, but in terms of cap space, the Rams are still flush. They still got 40 million dollars to spend. They they've got they, they don't have a ton of, of pressing free agent issues. They've got a, they've got some significant ones. We've talked about them on the site before. Case tight Kingdom, end, a, wide receiver is. is, is is Keenum the backup for this team next year? See,
1: I think Ben Albright disagreed with me. I think that Sean Mannion is better suited for for being a backup. But, but Ben's pretty staunch in his belief that the mobility, the ability to stretch the play and create from outside the pocket is going to be key to McVay's offense. And if that is the case... That's not really Mannion's strong suit. Um, But I don't know that – Case Keenum can move, actually. I mean, he's fairly – I'm not going to say that I would put money on him to, to, you know, beat Chris Johnson in a 40-yard dash or anything. But, look, Case Keenum has the ability to stretch a play (laughs) – what I thought was most interesting about my discussion with Albright was more the fact that he wasn't willing to tie an extended future to Jared Goff and the Rams.
0: Sure. Well, hey, here's what I'd say: Anytime you got a new head coach, it's hard to tie in that extended future, yeah, right? It sure is. So look. Fisher was as publicly bullient about Sam Bradford as you'll find any incoming coach about a quarterback that was there before he arrived, and we saw what happened. Now, obviously, that took two ACL injuries to end their relationship, but I would say this. I, I don't tie Sean McVeigh to Jared Goff. I tie, I tie Jared Goff to the Rams, and I tie Sean McVay to the Rams, and just like Fisher and Snead to the Rams, one of them is going to win. I, I I don't see both of them unless it's incredibly successful, and then we don't have to worry about that problem. I think the bigger issue is you mentioned the idea of Sean Mannion, Case Keenum, uh, you know, working outside the pocket. It, reason 1,570,000,000, hundred seventieth million whatever that Fisher's time was was just an incredible net negative. He drafted Sean Mannion in the third round, and we still. Don't Kind of an NFL quarterback. He has two years. and two years after he had every opportunity to find out. We had a year in which Nick Foles and Case Keenum wasted a season, where where Sean Mannion could have gotten plenty of experience as a rookie. Then the second season, while you wait for Jared Goff for nine weeks, your number one overall quarterback, you do, you don't give Sean Mannion any time to find out what kind of NFL quarterback he is, the, the fact that we, we don't have enough game tape to evaluate Sean Mannion as an NFL quarterback, it, after two years as a third-round pick, when you got Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson... he's probably in taking what it's the Rams think of him. Well, at least what Fisher thought of, it just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense why you would draft that guy, go two years, and a, with a comfortable play. I can understand if you had a starter that was winning games, that was an established name, and look, we can't play Sean Mannion because what are you going to do? Play, pull out Phillip Rivers? Of course not. We had Nick Foles and Case Keenum. You could have put Sean Mannion in any fucking week you wanted. Everybody would have been excited to see what
1: put Sean Mannion in on some drives and certainly like, sure. give, give me Sean Mannion in the sure. entire third quarter of the Miami Dolphins game.
0: Okay. Like I'm just, they could have made a whole social media thing out of it. Hashtag the drive. Yeah. Hashtag the drive. We're going to, the first drive of the third quarter or whatever. I, nobody cares. We just, it just, it, it would have been instructive to know what you've got out of your third round pick. Now they go into his third season with a new head coach and we don't have any game tape to really evaluate. It's just one of those picks that doesn't make any sense. And I think that's part of the problem with, with the Fisher era is that we're going now into an entire new era with new coaches and new evaluators for the most part. And there's so many questions up and down the roster. You know, we're transitioning from the football period to the head coaching search to what's quickly going to turn into the draft period when we go all personnel, all roster, and we say, "Okay, what do we have a quarterback? What do we have at running back?" Yeah, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff. Throw this out. Everywhere else is pretty much up for discussion, right? And I think it's just one of those things where we're going to look and say, "Well, why don't we know more about wide receiver? Why don't we know what Brian Quick is?" You know, outside of how much he was wasted under Jeff Fisher until two years ago, and then the injury threw him out. And, you know. Uh, why why don't we understand what his post Fisher responsibility it's just one of those things where we wasted so much time under Jeff Fisher because his system whether it was Rob Boris or Frank signetti it didn't matter because it was Jeff Fisher we just don't know moving forward and so now now we got to look at think about Tyler Higby man I mean think about the tight end position what, what are the Rams doing at tight end I have zero clue and, and the problem is because it's tight end. I don't know that you can spend anything on it because it's just not as important as why. And it's crazy
1: ball. because you're saying you need a tight end and, and McVeigh's undoubtedly gonna go out and bring in a tight end because it's fundamental to his approach on offense, but you've just drafted Tameric Hemingway or and and uh, Tyler Higby, no. as you mentioned, and and, and 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 you're not using them in the tight end, you are using can't catch, and the one who could catch is currently catching critical passes for a team in the, in the NFC Championship game. So, what do I know?
0: Yeah. And I, and I mean, there is no answer, and I, I think that's. That that's going to be the bigger question for me. Is is we know that the Rams are going to get a draft class, and obviously whoever comes in, McVeigh is going to be part of and, and tied to. We know that whoever was there before is like we said, and like you know you mentioned, uh, alluded to with the Albright interview, is going to be up for potential cuts when we come into March and we look at the the new year and the. Same way that the Rams released Jared Cook, James Laurinaitis, and Chris Long. Maybe, you know, you're talking about Lance Kendricks or Robert Quinn or who knows? Who knows who's a uh, potential roster victims. So, well, you know, we're going to cover that on the site, but thinking about it now, I have no idea. It's just one of those things where we, we should have a better sense of this roster than we do because we've had so much time to play these guys, and, and we just don't. And, and because we don't, it, it's one of those things where maybe the biggest question is, wh- which one of these guys... Or which you know couple of these guys, does Sean, they actually buy into? Does he buy into Lance Kendricks at, le- at least for one year as a tight end? Does he buy into EJ Gaines as an every game outside cornerback? Does he buy into Trumaine Johnson as somebody coming off the tag that needs to get hey, inside? Hey, even if he does
1: buy into Trumaine Johnson, does Trumaine Johnson
0: buy into him? Sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think that's a big Absolutely, and, and and you know, same with Ken, same with Kenny Britt. They're... The- the bigger questions, I mean, obviously it's going to be more fun talking about the draft, and let's get to that. I'll turn that over to you to, to see where we want to go with draft stuff. But to me, the, the, it's an easier question to figure out about draft because they get to decide what they want to do. They get to look at the you know the draft, the class, build their board, do scouting, and do, do it in a conventional way. When you talk about free agency, they're talking about guys who are here because of previous coaching staffs that wanted them there and, and so that turnover is is awkward in a very unique way you know other teams are dealing with it as well but for the rams because we've gone through five years of jeff fisher we haven't had to deal with that kind of a uh a rift a, a riff, dichotomy where you've got your head coach in place that may not be all that committed to the guys even like a kenny Britt, your leading receiver he may not be as valuable to this head coach as other guys Uh, at that same position depth chart. But, uh, hey, maybe a lot of that comes down to the draft. If the Rams draft a wide receiver, maybe that indicates that Kenny Britt is not as uh, valuable here under McVay as he was under Fisher. I think we're going to have to see how the draft stuff starts uh, developing. One note, I'll throw this at you. We saw uh, a couple reports that came out uh, about the Rams talking to some Michigan interior linemen. I thought that was really interesting. Brandon uh, put it up earlier today. Uh, where the Rams obviously have the Shrine Game, practices going down right now. Talking to Eric Magnuson, right tackle from Michigan. Talked to Kyle Calise, interior lineman, uh, earlier this week. Uh, you know, it seems like offensive line, at least through the rumors, is going to be the first thing. What 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 do you think is more important for this offense in terms of a draft perspective? Offensive line or wide receiver? And d- don't feel like you have to go offensive, offensive line. Base, but
1: uh, yeah, I wasn't going to go. I'm not fully prepared to go into immense detail on this one. I I, I will be next week, uh, but uh, I'll, I, I, this is an easy question for me. I don't have to spend a lot of time in thinking about it. It's the offensive line, I, dude. You could have you could bring back Calvin Johnson and somehow get a hold of the little uh, medallion that. Uh, Dumbledore gave to Hermania that allows her to turn back time and go and get Jerry Rice in his prime and put him on this team, it doesn't matter, man. The quarterback's on his ass. He's always got pressure in his face. He can't buy time. Uh, this offensive line is just it can't run block, it can't pass block, it can't block. Um, This offensive line lacks testicular fortitude. And, you know, when when you watch a team that's, you know, because you you talk about Fisher Ball, which people have this idea of just a, you know, a few run game, you know, up your ass. There was absolutely no sense of I own your ass going on in the trenches by the Rams. And if you're going to have the type of power run game that people – associated with Jeff Fisher, then you have to have guys willing to break five different digits on one play to create a lane for the running back. You have to have hogs that go after it and get it. That's why, you know, when you think about some of the like I just mentioned, the hogs, You know, one of Washington's famous offensive lines. You you know, you just you look at the Cowboys offensive line from this past year and what it was able to do for a guy like Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. And, And the Rams presently do not have an offensive line that could buy me time to spot the guy that was going to sack me.
0: Yeah. See, my my bigger problem is is what what was the strategy on building this offensive line? Yeah, that's the other other thing. You're right.
1: Sorry, I mean to cut you off. I just say this real quick. I have no idea what the hell they're did. This looks this looks like a Cam Norcross offensive line where he just said, (laughs) "I'm picking the five best people I think."
0: And did and did that two drafts ago. After they, I criticized the Todd Gurley pick because I did. I didn't think this team was ready for a running back of his caliber. Obviously, the last year and a half has helped show that. Right, and and uh, y- people can criticize Todd Gurley, and I think that's fair. He obviously bears some of the blame, at least for 2016. The bigger problem was that th- this roster and this coaching staff was not ready for Todd Gurley. And and, and when you go out and you try to draft. Rob Havenstein, second round; Jamon Brown, third round. You know, Cody Wickman, Andrew Donald, all these other pieces. You got Tom, ba- Tim Barnes at, se- at center, uh, and you're trying to plug in free. Ad- there, there's no strategy to building oh, this good. offensive line and investing in it. It's just oh the shit. The only cohesive we're out of strategy linemen. was Greg
1: Robinson
0: left tackle.
1: That was the only thing where you can see, okay, this is a thing the Rams are trying to do. <laughs> And even that cohesive well, strategy failed miserably.
0: Well, and the part of the problem was that they drafted him as a, as a left tackle out of Auburn from a triple option system and then said, we're going to move him to guard. And so all through the offseason, they pr- they pressed him into the guard position. They installed him there. They had Jake Long at left tackle. They said, we're going to bring him in at guard. We're going to bring him in at guard. Preseason at guard training camp at guard, goes into the regular season as the backup at guard, then you get an injury and you throw him over to left tackle. Well, this is somebody that you haven't brought into the NFL as a left tackle. What You you didn't give him the time. If the backup left tackle on your depth chart was somebody else, when Jake Long goes down, put that somebody else's left tackle. If Greg Greg Robinson, I don't care where you drafted him, look at what the – what Washington did uh, when they drafted Brandon Sharp, they, d- they didn't draft him and say, OK, we're placing him at guard unless the tackle goes down. Then we're going to pr- push him at another w- position. You know, you don't say, well, we're drafting Kenny Britt or, w- or Brian Quick as wide receiver. But if Lance Kendricks gets hurt, we're going to go put we're going to go push him at the tight end. You, you put a guy at a position teach him what you want him to do at that position and enforce his success it it's one of the, and we saw we saw it the the next year the with uh, Jamon Brown you know they go through preseason and training camp with Jamon Brown at one guard positions Roger Saffold at the other and over 6 months remember you got or not 6 months 4 months you got 4 months between the draft and when you're going through you know mini camp OTAs training camp, preseason. They did all that stuff with Jamon Brown at one spot. And then right before week one, they flip him to the other position where he's taken zero snaps. Now, what? the only reason you would do that is if you're not serious about developing your O-line blueprint. If you're not serious about a strategy for building your offensive line. Think about if USC did this, Josh. You, well, think they about do. if USC... They do, they do, but here's the difference. Number one, they get guys who can do it. Number two, Look at the
1: guys they brought in Damien Mama, Viana Talama, Toa uh it's Toto, it's Lobindal, so forth. I All those guys. I, I, I was just going to crap on them for a second. All those guys were supposed to get the <laughs> job done. And they kept moving him around, mixing him up. Toe Lobendon was like, he practiced at center, like went through spring at center. Then he played guard and fall. And then all of a sudden, he's the left tackle. And you're like, what the? You know?
0: (laughs) Uh, Now, here's the difference is that that you guys, that, that they were doing that knowing that it was a, it was an escape hatch, right? You had Chad Wheeler, you had these other things. That was an escape. Damian right. mama, all that stuff. That was an escape hatch. The Rams, the Rams drafted Greg Robinson, number two, overall. Yeah. So the, you know, the, indefensible that's the pick for
1: me at the time. It,
0: well, it, well, and that's the thing. That's the, that's, the difference right is you that when you're recruiting in college you have all these fallbacks you can say well we can do this well we can patch this up we've got we've got this other guy at the position you don't get you don't get that in the NFL when, when you're picking number two overall it's gotta work
1: yeah it it has to and I thought Greg Robinson as a number two overall pick was sketch at best when I looked at that pick especially because there were so many red flags with regard to Robinson's ability. I can't count the number of people that said great talent. You know, had, if if he can get his hand around hands, you know, head around the left tackle position, he could be all world. But is likely going to end up being a guard. And the Rams are like, you know what? We're going to take this guy number two overall, even though people are saying he's probably going to end up not even playing the position you're drafting him at. And it just, it screamed to me that they didn't know what they were doing. And every time they weren't, watched, sure. they weren't sure. Yeah. Out, yeah. Outside of, outside of Aaron Donald, it's been rough for me to look at the Rams drafts and say, okay. You know, I, I can't remember whether it was you or Lanny, but the number of people who were from some obscure colleges in Missouri, man, sure. I mean <laughs> I, I mean, we're talking about Northeast bumble crap, you
0: know, Missouri tech ass or it, it was but insane. You, you've also got You've also got to be sure about what you're doing. This is a team that drafted Aaron Donald, who's unquestionably the best talent that yeah. Jeff Fisher took, and didn't start him for a month and a half. Why, why is why is Aaron Donald not starting week 1? Why is Jared Goff not starting week 1? The the, the 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 part of the problem wasn't just that Greg Robinson himself wasn't ready. It's that the Rams weren't confident that they could get him ready and and put the pressure on him to be ready institutionally for week one if you draft an offensive lineman number two overall he's got to play week one I don't get gi- I don't give a damn he's got he's got to play week one if he's not good enough to play week one he's not good enough to be drafted number two overall. That's, I mean that's a, they're mutually exclusive you've got to have a culture in which when you're bringing guys in that early and obviously the Rams don't have to worry about this this year but when you're when you're drafting Jared Goff number one he's got to play week one and if he can't what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? The, the, the idea that, oh, he needs some special some special coaching that we're going to provide over three And
1: they couldn't get it months. done with supposedly the best the damn quarterback night. whisper in the, in,
0: in the world. Here, here's, here's what's silly about it you draft Jared Goff in April. You've got four months to get him ready. What is it that you can't do in the in the four months between drafting him and the and the the season starting, that you can magically do in the two months after the season starts? What what is it that he learns week one when he remember Jared Goff wasn't even on the active roster, right? Mm-hmm. He was on the seven man inactives for week one, but week two suddenly now he's ready to be the backup quarterback. What did he learn? In that way, it's just bullshit. It's just it, 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 the biggest problem with the Fisher approach to drafting and roster management was that it didn't follow any kind of coherent strategy to make sure <clears throat> that a 53-man roster that all the units were ready to compete for Week One and to continue a, a, a synchronized developmental timeline. They just didn't have one. And so now that you turn over this team to Sean McVay, yeah, you've got a lot of components. You got Todd Gurley. You got Jared Goff. You got all these things on defense. You got Tavon Austin, whatever the hell that is. But the holes that you're getting uh, are, are, are are not only significant, they're significant before we hit free agency. And I think Sean Wilkinson is going to put up uh, pretty soon a, a interesting look at the 2017 Rams versus the 2012 Rams when Jeff Fisher uh, first took over. It's going to be interesting. Um, <clears throat> and the argument, obviously, is going to be that Jeff Fisher's time uh, it was a net negative for the Rams. Yeah, I think and I can totally see that. It's gonna be a pretty easy totally argument see, to make.
1: Yeah, I can totally see that from just basically looking at you, uh, just without going into the PFF pluses and minuses and the advanced stats. Just having seen the tweet that went out where these were Jeff Fisher's draft classes, you can look at that and say, "Wow, I bet this era sucked."
0: Oh, it did. Cool. Yeah, that yeah, okay. was when, when, when you're spending early picks on Isaiah Pete and Brian Quick, and never and never forcing the issue. If you, I get it. If they, if they're not panning out, <clears throat> they're not panning out. But you've got to force it. You got to get them in the game and, and find out. And I think it took them too long for Brian Quick, and they never really forced the issue on Isaiah Pete. Let's do this. And uh, I know we're at the hour and a half mark. Yeah. Where are we at on, in, in your mind on draft talk? You know, it's January. I think it's eighteenth. What, 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 shrine game, you know, plenty early. We're seeing a couple things. Deshaun Watson's not going to play in the Senior Bowl. We saw uh, what, somebody else said, was it Jabril Powell? I don't think it was Jabril Somebody else said they're not going to play. We're starting to see some draft stuff. A- anything anything uh, popping off your mind draft-wise?
1: Um, You know, to be honest, no, not at the moment. Um, draft is one of those things that I kind of – I, 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 I'm kind of w- waiting until the NFL season is done. I know that people like to get on their I'm stuff. Responsible of you. <laughs> well, I know that people like to get on their draft projects early, but I, I, I just think that until combines and pro days happen, you're basically writing articles that you're going to have to write again. Only this time you're going to actually have the information you need to write the article. So, I, I I think that there is a certain amount of intrigue, you know, when you see tweets like, okay, they're talking to Michigan's interior linemen, you, obviously your ears perk up, and you say, okay, that would be solid if that worked out. Hopefully, you know, you're looking at one or two of these guys that maybe aren't projected to get drafted at all, but that, you know, you're already agreeing to terms with, you know? <laughs> Knowing yeah, that this yeah. guy is not going to get drafted, or or something like, you, you know, uh, there are there are ways for this team to improve sure. through the draft. But it is going to require an immense amount of due diligence. The one thing that I think the Rams have going for them on the defensive side of the ball is that Wade Phillips knows what the hell he's doing. You he can, does. You can be assured that he can handle that portion of the draft. So now if you're McVeigh, it's cut your workload in half.
0: Well, the only the only asterisk I would throw out there, Wade Phillips <laughs> certainly knows what he's doing. I I might question whether he he if he's certain he can do it with a Greg Williams developed personnel set, right? Where where he sure. might come in and and say he might come in and say to McVay, look, if you want me to make this a top ten defense, I need X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, McVeigh is looking at the offense and saying, I need T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. How the hell do I do this? in a single draft without a first rounder, right? And, and I, I think that... Well, I think might, that's where free and, agency came into play in, in my uh,
1: interview yeah. with Albright. Is he so even saying... <clears throat> you have to.
0: Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say that any t- anytime you're leaning on free agency in the NFL, that's one of those things where I get real nervous. It's, it's, it's not just that free agency is an imperfect science. It's that even when you get the guy you want, even when you say, hey, this is the guy... Half the time, if not more, those guys just don't fit the system the way they fit the previous system. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, it's just not the draft. Very few guys I, it, carry
1: with them the, the mojo that they had from their previous it's organization. True. And the ones that it's do the are the works. ones that cost you a shit ton of money.
0: And there's so few of them. That's it. And I get it. Look, we get excited for free agency every year because I, hey, we've got a hole at position X. There's a free agent at position X. It makes sense. And it just do, It just doesn't work out with any regularity. And it doesn't offer you the same kind of, you know, top tier success rate that the draft does. So, yeah, maybe that's a good place to leave it for this week because you know we we don't have a ton of information on free agency in the draft. We've got a new head coach. We've we're trying to fill out the
1: positions we've got. I I want to add one thing in before we close out. What I do think is intriguing is figuring out from a, because you talked about this with regard to Jeff Fisher, that there was no plan. There was no notion of what was going to take place. It was almost as if they grabbed their ass and said, all right, let's do this. Um, It will be interesting to see. McVeigh and his staff as they start the process of vetting people either through free agency or the draft. It'll be very interesting to see what they're looking at, because I think that that then will give us insight as to what their plans are. And then from there, it's a question of the media doing their job and following up and saying, hey, we've noticed this general pattern of X, Y and Z yep. in your draft plans and free agency plans. Is it safe to assume Q, you know, and, yeah. and I think that we are rapidly approaching, uh, you know, you can kind of see. At like, like Albright hinted at, what the Rams want to do. They definitely want to build around Todd Gurley. They definitely feel like Todd Gurley has the ability and I think they're even though Todd Gurley definitely regressed last year and I'm in that camp and I don't care who's on the other side of it. He regressed. That's just a fact. I'm sorry. But this is still a guy that's extremely capable. So if you can get the pieces in front of him that will allow him to do what he is good at, then you can rely on players like Benny Cunningham, maybe Benny Cunningham, if you can get him back, maybe, uh, maybe, right? maybe yeah, uh, to fill in that other role and, and sort of fill out the rest of that offense, if you will. So I, I am very excited to see how this staff is filled out because you're already starting to get a sense of what they want to do. So I kind of feel like some tight ends, an offensive lineman is coming. I kind of believe Albright when he says that the Rams are content with their wide receivers – Um, And I do think that maybe they had some talent there in guys like Nelson Spruce and whatnot that they figured it would just be better to give them a year on the practice squad. You know, you have it. Why bother? They're not going to get many snaps. As a matter of fact, it would be horrible if they did anyways, because you don't want what anybody was throwing last year going to them. So. You give those guys a chance to just sit and learn about the NFL lifestyle, see if they can keep out of trouble because you've had some problems with that. Find out, okay, these guys can hack it, and now maybe you include them more. Maybe that's why they're not worried about a Kenny Britt. And McVeigh has a history of getting guys like Tavon Austin involved, so you've got that going on. You've already got that plus. So, You know, maybe Wade Phillips, like you said, is looking at this defense saying, okay, I need this, this, and this if you want a top 10 defense. Because if the Rams are truly saying that they're content with their receiving core, then what are they going to draft
3: on
0: offense? the other thing I'm interested in, and I'm really hoping that we get this from the media, and it's hard, you know, this is one of those things that I've, uh, especially with position coaches, that i pointed out a lot this offseason. We just don't get a lot of information in terms of how they do their job. One of the things I'm really interested in in terms of Sean McVeigh as a first-time head coach, forget how old he is, just as a first-time head coach, he's going from a coordinator position where essentially he tells the head coach and GM, hey, here's what I think we need for this offense, where now he's the guy in charge, and he is having to synthesize that information from his offense coordinator, defense coordinator, to say, "Here's what we're looking at. Here's what we need." And then working with the GM over the process of the draft, which has already started, to say, "Here's where, how we go about finding those guys." So that, that, that if Sean now Sean McVay is a somewhat de facto offensive coordinator right now. Obviously, he's going to call the plays. His background obviously suggests as much. But but no, the no, idea, no, is, is,
1: is said, he's only going to be involved in about fifty percent of it. He doesn't expect that you, he. You you expect him to be involved in more in the design and the installation sure. of it, but when he hires he's a, head yeah, he, he he's a head coach.
0: Yeah, he's a head coach. You can't do both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just think as That's fans, we misunderstand this all the time. Well, it's just one of those things. It it is, but I think it's almost impossible to to suggest that you can that you can be an offensive coordinator and a head coach at the same time. It's just not realistic, right? Well, I, mean, I, I if get the idea. like I, hiring guys like
1: Wade Phillips, going after sure. Bill Callahan, trying to surround yourself with proven winners, and then leaning on them for their expertise, even as the youngest so, so, head coach in the game? Is that part encouraging to you?
0: It is. I'd say that the only re the the only way you can get hired as young as he is to be the youngest head coach of all time, is if you're smart enough to know that you need those kind of guys. Right? They go they go hand in hand. That. The fact that he's almost unlike Jeff Fisher, who was too stubborn to know, hey, I need this to counterbalance me. The only way you're, you you can be that young, is as young as Sean McVay is, to get hired, is to know what you need to counterbalance you. To know, hey, I'd like to call – every play. I'd like to still be the offensive coordinator, but I know I've got to give that up. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if after or even some part way through 2017 he starts giving even more of that up. Where Sean McVay says, look, the res- the duties and responsibilities of being a head coach are so magnetic they, they require so much m- more of my time and my effort that I can't even focus on this play calling, the offense coordinator stuff. As proficient as he is as it- at it, as comfortable as he is at it, you know at some point i think he's going to look at the position of head coach and say i've got to dive full time into this and especially yes. you get through a draft and a season and he says this is my team now these are my but right now he's saying well you know these aren't my guys I, I'm I'm bringing in a system. I'm gonna quote unquote tailor my system to these guys. I'm gonna to try to do this. I'm gonna to try to do this. At, at some point through 2017 and certainly into 2018, he's gonna say, well, this is this is my team now. Mm-hmm. And, and at at this point, I've got a ha- I've got to be able to delegate. You know, I, I think that's gonna come. And so it, that's more of the, the the interesting thing. Not just the specifics of hey, the Rams are talking to this offensive lineman and they're talking to a guy at this position, so maybe they draft him here or that. Kind Kind of stuff, but more, how is he managing the responsibilities of a head coach throughout draft season? That's one of those things that I'm really what, I got, what's the right word? I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see how the media reports that because I'm excited to see how this era of the Rams takes shape. And you know, yeah. the, I, I, I know the general criticism of Tercio Times has been that we've been too negative for a team that hasn't won since 2003, but. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about where we're going. And, you know, like I said on the site today, I think I'm more positive about Rob Boris than most people was. The fact that he's gone and now being hired as a tight ends coach for Buffalo, Greg Olson being hired as a quarterback's coach. I think I'm more positive about that than a lot of people. I think I'm I think overall, I'm more positive than a, a lot of people than the dire- for the direction for the Rams. I think I think it's just that, that there's a lot of questions up in the air and some some people want to provide answers. I think I'm just willing to wait to see uh, Yeah, where I'm it with is. you I think on that
1: I'm willing to kick back, let it unfold do some gleaning, do some assimilating, and you know do some discussing, and after enough time has passed I'll reach a conclusion, but right now I'm good, I'm good, I, like you I am excited and, and ready to see what the future brings, you know okay. even if there is a bit of strife if 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 there are signs of fight and signs of life, then like
0: you know, the strife is easy and enough even, to deal with. You know. Sure. And even if there's not, even if there's no. not, it's the, it's the excitement of the unknown. I think is uh, especially yeah, when you you come know to, it's not now, going yeah. to be
1: seven and nine bullshit. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So.
3: Yeah.
0: It, and not more. More importantly, it's not going to be tolerant of seven and nine. It's it's not going to be the kind of culture where Jeff Fisher is saying that, right? That that's the point. It's not. It's not just that the Rams were going seven. It's that he said that. He knew it. Jeff Jeff Fisher knew that the culture of his team was seven and nine bullshit. That's why he said that, right? that that's the difference is, is Sean McVay doesn't have to say that because that's not the culture he's built. He gets, he gets to craft his first chapter as a head coach with a, with a new team. And I, I think the fact that he's, he's writing on a blank page is what's more exciting than anything.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think that's a perfect place
0: to leave it. So, but I want
1: to give a shout out to our guest, Mr. Ken Fang. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at Fangs Bites. Be sure to check out his work at Awful Announcing and at FangsBytes.com. You can find all the information for that stuff in his profile. And you can also check the comeback Um And a big super shout-out to producer Scott for landing, Ken, Um, because it was actually – Lanny normally does these things and books us some guests, though I'll occasionally get a wild hair and do it myself. But Scott made the connect on this one. So uh, a big shout-out to producer Scott for going above and beyond, as he always does. Be sure to give him a follow at Sports Speaks on Twitter. That's Sports And speaks as in talks. He speaks. She speaks. And finally, you can follow Joe on Twitter at 3K underscore. If you want to listen to him, use about the Rams and or Arsenal and or anything else. Uh, But most importantly, be sure to follow the site at Turf Show Times. You can find us on Facebook at Turf Show Times. We're on the Instachat, the Snapgram. You type in Turf Show Times plus that social media outlet. You will find us. We will find you. You have been codied. So for me, Josh Webb at fight on twist on Twitter. It is a been a pleasure once again to talk to you guys every week about the Rams. I look forward to coming back next week and uh, hopefully we can get into some draft discussion, Joe. How about, how about we, uh, maybe bring on a draft
0: expert. I think we're getting close. You know, it's, it's still mid January. One of those things that. It, I love the draft. I can I can talk about the 2018 draft, but it's one of those things where once you turn it on, once you once you turn on the faucet, it starts pouring, man. Yeah. And, and, and I'm trying I'm trying to wait. I'm trying to hold off on going 100% draft because as soon as we go there, it's uh, it's gonna be nonstop.
1: Yes. For, for Joe, for Scott, for Church Show Times, I am Josh Webb. We are Church Show Times, SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams. And we are here. Hello, you are listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.